So it was a, a hard upbringing. Uh, when people talk about pocket money, there was no such thing. We first um, got more face-to-face -face on the opposite sides of a political spectrum. Uh, but I think what we do have in common in that is our passion for Peterborough. What would be the most common mistakes that you think businesses make? I think most of them don't spend enough time on thinking the route that they want to take. But if you could just think, am I enjoying things as they are? Is the business where I want it to be? Am I in the business I want to be in? And if not, where do I want to be in the future? What do I need to change? Making money and making excuses is mutually exclusive. Either doing one or the other. Uh, and uh, I think it was Earl Nightingale who said, we're all self-made, but it's only the rich who admit it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Success is a System. I'm Mike Green and I've got with me today very, very successful local businessman, Shaz Nawaz. And we uh, have both been in business locally for many years. We have both had various business in many years. We've both been in politics locally uh, on opposite sides of politics. So uh, we're not going to get into that. But what I do like about that is that you should be able to be of a different um uh, position with somebody, have that debate, have strong debate, but still respect each other. I have massive respect for Shaz and what is, is achieved locally. And what I want to talk a little bit today are the systems behind finance, because Shaz is very successful, uh, finance business, accountancy, advisory. Uh, he's got a very successful nursery business, uh, property, all sorts of really multiple and varied business across many properties truly an entrepreneur in the full meaning of the word. So you're going to get some great systems for success as we go through today. Shaz, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And um, as I say, we, we first um, got more face-to-face -face on the opposite sides of a political spectrum. Uh, but I think what we do have in common in that is our passion for Peterborough. So um, I often start these by asking uh, my guests to say a little bit about where they're from. You know, I don't know... Your, your life before Peterborough, you know, whether you grew up with a silver spoon or whether you kind of had a more challenged upbringing, spouse situation, how you got into the business or, or skill set that you're in. And give us a kind of quick summary of life to date that brought you to Peterborough. So born in Peterborough. Right. And uh, then my family moved to Pakistan, uh, Kashmir, uh, to be precise, and lived there for quite a few years then came back and went to the Beaches School in Millfield, uh, in the heart of the town centre. Uh, and as you can imagine, because uh, obviously you're, you know Peterborough reasonably well, uh, it was and still is one of the most deprived areas in the city and possibly in the country. So it was a, a hard upbringing. Uh, when people talk about pocket money, there was no such thing. You had no pockets. <laughs> yeah, no pockets. Uh, and uh, you had one kid who either had a bat and a ball or a football. And we all used to obviously use that every single day uh, during the holidays or the evenings or the weekends to play. So life was tough and hard. Uh, and we are pretty much surrounded by one particular community, which is the Asian community, because we're kind of all living in that 
yeah. particular area and that hub uh, and the, the primary school that I went to in fact uh, I think we had uh, maybe one or two uh, English folk the rest were all Asian yeah so that that was my initial uh, start in life then I went to Bretton Woods like you did uh, and that was an experience yeah. very different uh, indeed uh, and I, it's interesting you didn't say if it was a positive or negative experience but positive experience I'd say okay good yeah and I went to Bretton Woods Mike because it had a swimming pool yeah so the, there were two choices Jack Hunt at the time uh, and Bretton Woods and I chose Bretton Woods because some of my friends were going there so I really thought about it deeply of course as you can <laughs> imagine uh, for why I was choosing a particular uh, Nothing school. about the exams or no, the... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That was all secondary. No, really, I think uh, Bretton Woods shaped, partly shaped who I am as a person. Uh, and uh, I think uh, that experience and the experience of living in Millfield and going to the beaches school really defined me as uh, who I am as, as a person. Uh, because quite often, uh, and we were talking about this earlier, uh, people use their experiences either as a handicap yeah. or as an advantage. Uh, so let's talk about me. I could say I'm Asian and I perhaps don't have a sense of belonging or people don't ac accept me in this city or this country. I'm Muslim and people think most Muslims or all Muslims are terrorists or some people think that. Okay, uh, I can use many other excuses, by the way. Uh, but why would you do that? Why would you not? use your experiences and your knowledge and your experience and your expertise uh, and use that as a strength and celebrate that uh, and say, what, how can I use this to my advantage? Uh, but to answer your uh, initial question, after that, obviously, uh, uh, we went through a formal education and started working in London uh, for the bank, well, started uh, working for Ernst & Young, okay. uh, then Bank of New York, J.P. Morgan. So did uh, you go to uni? Or? I did, and I, I did something interesting, though. Uh, when I was at Bretton Woods, uh, Mike, we used to have a <clears throat> careers, not a teacher, yeah, no, support person. Uh, and every time he used to come in, he used to ask me, what do you want to become? And I used to say, I want to become a businessman. And the first thing that he ever said to me was, does your dad own a corner shop? So prejudiced. Huh? Okay. And I don't know why, why he said that. Uh, and I've no idea why, why he thought I wanted to own a shop. Uh, because my understanding at that time of a businessman uh, was somebody who was wearing a dark suit, carrying a briefcase, wearing a bowler hat, uh, and walking up and down the streets of London. That's what I thought a businessman was, uh, according to what I knew. Uh, but I always had that passion. So working in the city of London, as much as I enjoyed it, I always knew I wanted to set up my own business. Right. And then I uh, started my Where did that come from, though? Had you had any family that were in their own business prior? Just a desire? Just a desire. Uh, so it, it, it's hard, kind of hard to pinpoint why. Uh, but as I've grown up, Everybody has a word, or I, I assume most people have a word rather than saying everybody. And the word for me, Mike, is freedom. Okay. And as I look back now, I think somewhere in me at that time, business meant freedom. 
I no one else could pull the rug. If you're in your own business, you're not going to sack yourself. You're in control of how much you get paid to some degree and so on. And to some extent, you can do what you like, have d- different businesses, yeah. shape your life, your organization, your team members, your clients, your community, whatever you care about in the way that you want. So you become a master of your own destiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then I started an, an accountancy firm. Uh, and from that, uh, it got <clears throat> bigger and better. We scaled that up. Uh, and then I went into property, children's day nurseries. Uh, and uh, right now, uh, we're uh, offshoring uh, by setting up an office in Pakistan in Islamabad. Well, I'd love, love to unpick some of that if we can. So firstly, I was, I think, the second year after Bretton Woods opened. So that means you must be 59 or younger. I am younger. Younger. Okay, I'm 58. How old are you? 45. 45, okay. So 45 years old. Bretton Woods had been running for, in that case, about 13, 14 years when you went there. And it was about that time that it was called. And and this is something I share because your achievement is exceptional, but it's more exceptional for people who don't know Bretton Woods or didn't go to Bretton Woods. Not many people went to university. Not many people had that same self-belief and so on. And in fact, Bretton Woods was once called a demonized depository for social waste by an eminent Cambridge psychologist who I, when I was awarded an honorary doctorate for education, met and she still couldn't see how terrible that was to label kids anything negative, let alone social waste. I mean, it's so appalling. And yet I'll often talk about Bretton Woods wasn't the best school. But if you wanted to learn, the teachers wanted to teach you. The problem is not many kids there had a love of learning uh, and their learning styles perhaps weren't best suited to the teaching style. Um, but just last week, I met up with one of my old teachers, Di Goldsmith, who was a, mm-hmm. uh, Music. a wonderful lady, the arts generally. Actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I'm seeing a, a, an event locally next week. Um, and when I look back... It's interesting because you talked about all the reasons why you could have a pity party or give excuses to not be successful, but you didn't let that hold you down. And I do think people can either have that pity party and worries me and the government are terrible and my parents are bad and my school was awful, or they can be part of the solution and look at what they can achieve and how they can achieve it, even if they come from tough challenges. So, I mean, interestingly, I asked about going to uni because... I'd go as far as saying it was probably single digit um, percentages of people who went from Bretton Woods to university. It just wasn't the norm. Who inspired you at school? What subject was that? And and how did you get to go from Bretton Woods to university? I think uh, it really started at uh, primary school. Uh, Is that Ayrscroft? Or... No, oh, the Beaches. The Beaches said, School yeah, in, in Midfield. Yeah. And my head teacher... Uh, who later on become, became a counsellor and then inspired me. Okay, uh, that's how you got into the politics. got into local politics because he resigned and then uh, I fought that uh, election after him. Uh, and uh, he always instilled in me the belief that I could and would do anything I wanted to do as long as I had a strong work ethic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that at Bretton Woods, again, was very helpful. So all the way from the top, and I assume our head teacher or 
principal would have been the same person, John Gribble, possibly. Yeah, he joined just as I was leaving, so it's a bit of a transition there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there were many teachers at, at Bretton Woods uh, who were exceptionally supportive, kind, yeah. uh, and if you needed the extra support uh, during break time, lunch time, they'd offer that to you. Even after school, they'd stay back and help and support. Uh, so I think Bre- Bretton Woods, for me, Mike, uh, was one of the best experiences uh, of my life uh, because that taught me how to interact with people, understand people from different backgrounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also to see things differently, uh, which is interesting compared to how my children uh, interact uh, in the sense that they go to private schools. Uh, so they've got a different view of the world compared to what I've got. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was reading something over the weekend uh, which said more CEOs of, I think, Fortune 500 companies didn't go to the Ivy League universities. And yet people would assume, you know, yeah, going yeah. to those top universities uh, in America or anywhere else helps you make it. In fact, uh, there are a number of US presidents, in fact, uh, who were brought up without a father or had some other huge significant challenge in their lives which they fought to become successful. So I think yeah. climbing up that ladder of success, as you call it, okay, uh, and knowing that all you've got is what you haven't got, okay, yeah. makes you strive <clears throat> and work harder. Because I think if you've been to a very decent private school, for example, and you've been to Oxbridge, uh, and you you were born and brought up with a silver spoon, you can become complacent. Whereas people like you and me, for example, uh, knew we, we we were starting from rock bottom and the only way we were going to make it to the top, okay, whatever the top might be, was through hard work or, and also working smart and then coming up with a system or a process yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's going to get us there. And for me, Mike, that really was... I understood and established at a point in my life uh, when I went to a, a seminar uh, with uh, a man called Steve Pipe who used to work with accountants and he was an accountant and a finance director at Kodak uh, and he did two things for me. The first was uh, he got me back into reading books. Uh, the second thing uh, that he shared with me was it's all up there, your mindset. And, and if, if you can fix your mindset, yeah. rather than being a victim of society, of accepting the labels people put on you and becoming that person, okay, uh, change your mindset uh, and see things from a different perspective. And that day really, I'd say, uh, turned my life around. And and when was this? Where, what sort of age would you have been at that point? That was later on in life. That would be around about 2010. So up until then, where, did you have your own business at that point? Or yep. were you so doing your... started my business in 2003. Because Ernst & Young is a yeah. fantastic business to have worked for. Yeah, and, it yeah. is. And I made all of the mistakes in the first, say, seven years, more than once. Uh, and then I said, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Okay. Uh, and uh, you've, you've got clients coming in back in those days, uh, bringing their records in in a paper bag uh, and you're trying to make 
something out of those records and there's information missing and the clients aren't organized and everything's being done last minute because, yeah, because yeah. Uh, either the clients don't bring things in or at the time we weren't as organized uh, as we ought to be uh, and then someone uh, said you ought to go to a seminar with this man called Steve Pipe who helps accountancy firms think differently become proactive okay and add value uh, and I thought what am I going to learn from uh, taking a day off work yeah. but for some reason I went there Mike all the way to Birmingham uh, to the motorcycle museum and within five minutes I knew this was what I was looking for you were glued you know, I think yeah. I do I do believe there's those moments of fate where you know they call it what is it sliding doors and you could go one way or the other kind of thing and often when you talk to people about those pivot points they could have so nearly missed it they could have so nearly not gone that day or been in a closed mindset that day and so on but um if you're going to put yourself in the position to have the chance of finding that motivation, that reason for being, that that drive or that belief or that change of mindset, um, you're more likely to achieve it. And therefore, how do you put yourself in that position? And you talked about reading books. And one of the things I say is readers are leaders. And, you know, I get a lot of mentees who say, I don't like reading, I'm dyslexic, or I've got ADHD and I can't focus. And I say, okay, well, listen to Audible then. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have these things, but now you can listen on audio if you don't like reading. There is no excuse not to find the wisdom, the mindset, the experience, and the motivation of great leaders all around the world. So, you know, now more than when we were kids, you, because of the internet, you can live anywhere in the world but access leaders' inspiration. You know, people who have achieved outstanding things. Um, and and so we, we've had more in common in our upbringing than we have different, I think. Absolutely. And, and I think when, whether it's reading or it's consuming information, uh, one thing that I've learned, and I'm sure you're going to resonate with this, is success leaves clues. Yeah, I like that saying. So as you're looking at people, or you're not looking at them, actually you're looking into them. So whether you're reading biographies, autobiographies, watching documentaries, yeah. YouTube, all the plethora of information that we have, okay, you'll soon see things that resonate with you, okay? And you think, aha, this now makes sense. If I was watching a YouTube video uh, about uh, a speech that uh, Steve Jobs was giving when he talks about you know when you're going on, on a journey you can't always see where you're going but when you look back it's easy to connect the dots was this the address to the graduate in uh, Stanford, Stanford address I yeah. think that's right 19 minutes of pure wisdom that's right so, yeah. yeah and uh, that's what it is it's, it's, you, you look at other people and again you and I were talking about this earlier where you can emulate what they've done yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in in your own unique way because we're all different we're all unique we all do things differently uh, and that's a good thing well and that's where as i was saying to you earlier that's why success as a system is a passion of mine because success does leave clues uh, and as I said, you know, people say, what's the secret of success? And there's so many people out there trying to sell a secret, which is a bit snake oily by a lot of the people who are doing it, as opposed to saying, I tell you what, there's a system to, to finance. There's a system to marketing. There's a system to hiring great teams. And these systems may change over time, but there's not even one rigid system. There's, you know, this businessman has built it this way uh, with the, with their systems. This person's built it this way and actually if you look if you listen if you're willing to learn with a uh, an educate um uh, an open mind to be educated as a mindset 
all of the answers are out there if you're willing to search them out and be be open-minded and listen. Absolutely. I mean, the, there's different routes to climbing a mountain, but the view from the top is the same, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so like everybody uh, will have a different system which works for them. Some people start work early, 5 a.m. club. Some people like uh, working in the in the evenings or late at night, for example. Okay. Some people are organized. Some people like working in chaos. Okay. Mm. I personally uh, have a very messy desk. Lots of paper everywhere. Uh, whereas people may assume I'm going to be very organized and I have, a, have everything uh, in particular piles. I don't because that's the way that I enjoy working and my colleagues are really good. Every six months they feel really sorry yeah. for me and tidy my desk. And but, no. but some people would go to pieces if they got OCD and they see that. But if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah. We don't all have to be robots. We no. can be individual and be successful. And I like your what you said there about the view from the top's the same. So you can get there by different routes, but the view from yeah. the top's the same. I think generally speaking, uh, people have become more lazy as time's gone on. And it's something that, that you said, which I, which I want to touch upon, because I go about up and down the country uh, talking about property and business. And one of the most common questions is, what's the one thing that I can do to become successful? And my answer to them, uh, which is my answer to everybody, I don't have one thing, but I've got 167 things, if you want to do yeah. them. But nobody wants 167 things. Everybody wants that one thing. But they there is no one thing. They want a pill. Just they give want me, a give bullet, you know, a, 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 a pill that's going to fix all their ailments. Yeah. Well, it's not going to happen. So people should be asking the right questions in the first place if they really want to change their life around or they want to develop, grow and flourish. Well, it's interesting because I used to run a consultancy uh, with uh, a good friend and my business partner, Tom Fender. Uh, and we built it here, America, Australia, New Zealand, and so on. And, and often I, we'd, we'd go in and we'd go into big companies, sm some small companies, but and it might be some startups like a new food or drink business, but it would also be Red Bull, Coca-Cola, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, uh, all the tobacco companies, you know, Cadbury, all these big companies. And we'd be asked in loads of questions. Uh, and I remember someone said to me once, well, hang on a minute, you're charging a fortune as a consultancy. How come all you do is ask questions? And I said, well, actually, the route to the right answer is the right question. And the mistake that people make is they don't ask the right questions. And sometimes you may ask a question of me, I would say to a client, but you're, ask, you're even asking me the wrong question because you think that's the route to the answer you need. But I need to really ask you so many interrogative questions to understand where you are, where you really want to be, what the strengths in your business are and what the issues in your business are. I can come and give you generic kind of messages and systems. But if it wants to be specific, it's like a doctor that needs to understand the systems that you're suffering with, the extent to which they're uh, a, a smaller part of your issue or a big part of your issue in order to get to the perfect mixture of or cocktail of medicines that are right for you to make you the best you. Uh, and, and yet people didn't, often people think, if, it's, if I want to be better, just give me the answer. They don't realise there's a lot of questioning first. There's a lot of understanding. I'll tell you what's really interesting uh, linked with that. Uh, so I've done over 3,000 business growth consultations now. Uh, and the first thing, Mike, is people don't actually identify the problem that they really have. 
So they think they've yeah. got a problem with their s- sales system, when it could be marketing, uh, when it could be a lack of margins, their pricing isn't right. Uh, and then the, the second and more interesting thing is they know what the answer is in terms of fixing it, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they just haven't thought about it deeply enough. And that's, that's where it takes people like you and me and, and others to ask the right questions to help them get yeah. to the right answer. And then often as we're giving them the answer, you just said they know the answer. And people say, yeah, I know that, I know that. And uh, well, you, you need to do the more of this. Yeah, I know that, Mike. And, you know, I get frustrated and I sometimes say, look, to know and not to do is not, not to know. To know. Yeah. The man who can read but doesn't read is no better than the man who can't read and, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Which brings me on to something I really wanted to get into with you, knowing that you've done so many consultations, that you've helped so many businesses, different business and varied business. Sometimes as I'm mentoring, it feels like a, a bit like the movie Groundhog Day. I think I'm having the same conversation now that I was having this morning, that I was having yesterday. That I was having, uh, and there, there are a lot of the issues are common. A lot of the weaknesses or development areas are common. What would you say are the biggest, are the three most common or biggest issues that hold business back? So my experience uh, is in the small business arena. And the first and the most common one is a lack of systems and processes. Yeah. Uh, because businesses, those small businesses, and, and obviously also medium-sized uh, also, Mike, is that they become people-dependent as opposed to process-dependent. That's the okay, first one. that's interesting, yeah. Uh, the second one uh, I find uh, quite often is they don't have a proper sales and marketing function at all. Uh, so their business comes in from one particular uh, stream and that's all it is. If you ask somebody, how much does it cost you to get a lead? Yeah. They've got no idea. How much does it cost you to convert a lead? No idea. How, more, how much is that lead worth? What's the lifetime value? Yeah. No yeah. idea whatsoever. Uh, it's like a foreign language. And most of them say they, they don't like selling. And I think, why are you in business? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's because people think sales is contrived. Uh, that you're ramming something down somebody's throat. Uh, and it's, as you know, it's quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Selling is sharing in an elegant solution with somebody. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying, based on what you've told me so far and the questions that I've asked you, this is the right fit for you. If it suits you, take yeah. it. If it doesn't, leave it. And I think you've got to be comfortable in selling because what I was taught uh, by a, an early mentor of mine, a guy called Peter Thompson, uh, uh, who said, You've got to learn to sell and then you've got to stop selling. So learn the process, how it works, and then just stop selling. And start just listening, connecting, finding the the, the problem so that you can offer the solution. Uh, And and, and people will buy. So I've got uh, lack of systems procedures, sales and marketing function. What was the third? The third one, in my view, I think is pivotal and vital, is their pricing. Yeah. Because they don't know what the margins are. And they blame on everything else, okay? And it's a lack of cash flow, lack of profitability, yeah. okay? Because if you're not making the right margin, Mike, you can't employ the best team members. You can't spend enough money on sales and marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't improve, enhance your product, okay? You can't have a better office. You can't have better equipment, okay? And if your margins are right, you've got the fat there yeah, to yeah. be able to burn some of it by making mistakes because we all, all make mistakes, but you've still got enough margin there to then try 
and improve what you've already got. Yeah, yeah. And most small businesses and even the larger ones don't spend any time on their pricing. I mean, I mean, they're the really bigger ones, obviously, do. Yeah. But most small ones, okay, don't spend any time but, on that. And, and three outstanding sort of nuggets of insight there and wisdom. And uh, I'd like to delve into some of them because, you know, when you say about lack of systems and procedures and they become more people-focused than, than process-focused uh, and so on. Uh, and I was talking to someone just this morning, uh, a mentor in session, and um, I was saying that, you know, we all look for the perfect people. Now, they're few and far between. Uh, I'm here to find I've, one, by the I've way. I've never met anyone who's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, if there is someone who's absolutely at the top of the game, chances are they've gone into business on their own and they're unemployable. If they are employable, they're probably hugely expensive. And you will find it hard to control that sort of person because they need free reign. So I then said, well, given that's the case, and we should always aim to get the best people we can get. But, you know, we can also look at outstanding businesses like McDonald's that could operate on if there was a grading of people, which isn't a nice thing to do. But let's just say perfect was 100 percent and, you know, good or great was 90 percent and okay was 80 percent you know they've built a business model that can take people at 50 60 70 percent of potential and they've built processes and systems that can still be fantastically successful with people who are uh who are not uh anything like at their best but what they then do is put the processes in to help those people evolve and develop and and often they'll they can take people from being uh literally on the counter to running their own store over time so i i think we accept that people aren't perfect but we look for the best processes and then we help our people with processes that make them more towards their perfect self uh, and I think that's really uh, a great point that you made there. The sales and marketing piece and leads, it amazes me how many people expect customers to come and knock on their door mm. and they don't either buy leads or generate leads or even understand that people aren't coming to you. Increasingly with, uh, you know, we used to have businesses where you went to an office or you went to a shop or you went to a high street. Now you, you've got to find those people. And actually the best way to get business is to go out and find the customers and to generate that, which I think was really uh, a crucial point as well. And then pricing, probably 70% of the marketing, marketing and research based consultancy that I had, because what we didn't do was just give advice on our thoughts. We researched tens of thousands of shoppers, manufacturers, retailers, wholesalers to try and understand changing needs. And from that research, um, we would give advisory or or consultation but based on fact not based on opinion or at best or worse sorry whichever way you look at it it was educated opinion it was fact-based opinion not just my belief if you like and when it comes to pricing what was really interested in interesting was pricing can work at pretty much any level if there's margin in it so you know who could deny if we were thinking food and drink the discounters they're very low price but they make great money. Hmm. The supermarkets are probably mid-price, but they make great money. The premium retailers are high price, but they make, they're finding a model that works to their margin. And, and to me, I used to say it was a set of scales. If, if it was the, the benefits I receive uh, for the burdens I endure, and it was yeah. a set of scales, the benefits of a product are its quality, um, uh, 
how, how, how long it will last. It might be the amount that I'm getting. So there's all those benefits. The burden is how much I've got to pay. Well, actually, if I can increase the benefits, I can charge more Absolutely. for that product. And so, yeah, but we're so-and-so are cheaper and they're stealing all our customers. And I think you, you need to offer more. And I was just talking earlier to somebody about Charlie Mullins, how he could charge double digit more than anyone else in London. Mm. But he would be there when he said he would be there. He would give a fixed price and honor that price, even if it cost him more um, and, and just offer so much. And the example was given about buy this. Said, oh, yeah. Now you say that I was aware because we were speaking to a customer and she said, I was waiting so long. I'd been let down by this plumber. Uh, and I thought, sod it. I, I, I know he's more expensive, but I'm going to ring Pimlico Plumbers. I said, so they rang Pimlico Plumbers and there was a salesperson there within two hours that afternoon. And he said, this is going to be the price. And I thought, fucking hell. Okay, it's a bit expensive, but when can you do it? Uh, and they said, we, we keep that in stock. We can have it here in an hour. And, you know, not many people can give that speed of service, that speed of response uh, and that commitment to a price. But when you can, price becomes less important because the burden has reduced. And I think if people think about that, that's why a Ferrari can cost as much as 30 Fiat's, but people will pay for a Ferrari, even though they both get to A to B. So I think it's not just about pricing per se, it's about establishing what exactly am I offering? Am I discount? Am I standard? Am I premium? Am I super premium? Mm. And what does it mean within the product or service I'm offering to be discount, That's standard, premium. premium, super premium? And if I commit to super premium, I've got to commit to it and live it and breathe it and deliver it. Uh, and so I think, you know, three incredible a- areas. What would be the most common mistakes that you think businesses make? I think... Most of them don't spend enough time on thinking the route that they want to take. And I don't mean a 68-page or a 450-page business plan. It could be just an A4 sheet of paper. Yeah. And just trying to map out, okay, uh, why they're in business, uh, what their USPs are, what makes them different, how they're adding value, and where they're looking to go. I mean, people might not believe that. I mean, we've had we've met a few times, but we've never had this depth of conversation. And yet the commonality is amazing because the whole transformation transition mapping that I work on was born out of one of my mentors who was head of corporate restructuring for KPMG. And I remember and I tell this story a lot and I, I, I um, I'm happy to repeat it because repetition is the mother of success. But he said, you know, I go in, I charge five or six million quid. I'm sure it was similar in EY. Um, and uh because we've charged five or six million quid, we've gone in with the team for four, five, six weeks. Uh, and there's 20 folders of output. And in there, there's research reports, analysis, recommendations. He said, but because it's 20 folders, no one's going to read it. Mm. Because they don't read it, they can't possibly act on it. Because they don't act on it, how can they fix the problem that we first went in to resolve? He said, so I wish we could do the 20 folders of thinking, analysis, research, but say to them, we'll give you one page. That one page... Uh, is all you need. And and so that's where, this is 20 years ago, that's where my, my system started from and has evolved. And it really is that one page strategic map. Let's choose a period, three years. What's your current state? Where are you today? What's your future state? Where do you want to be in the future? What areas do we need to work on to get from where you are to where you want to be? And what initiatives do we need to perform or, or develop in each area? Uh, and people, it can't be that simple. Well, of course it can. It really is. It's not complicated it's not easy, but it is simple. 
and and when people make it 68 pages uh, to use your reference they're not going to read it and no. if they don't read it they won't act on it and if they don't act on it they can't possibly deliver it so uh, i think when you talk strategy with people it tends to scare them and so they people need to understand strategy is and you you talked about it and i love the way the word you used thinking Strategy is, I, I often talk about, and I learned this from mountain climbing, it was a philosophy and, and it got applied to business of stop, breathe, think. And when I was doing the mountain climbing and you're going, and because you're, 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 you might not be going fast, but because you're going up, your oxygen levels are reducing. Because they're reducing, you can't breathe properly. Because you can't breathe properly, your body will prioritize the primary organs, which are heart, lungs, legs, arms, and so on, because that's what you're using. Brain often doesn't think as clearly. So they used to have a saying, stop, breathe, think. If you stop, you can then breathe more easy. If you breathe more easy, your brain gets oxygen and you make better decisions. And if people spend a bit of time each day, as Churchill said, to think... Just a bit of the people say, oh, we think all the time. That's exactly the problem. You don't, yeah. you don't take the time <laughs> to think. But if you could just think, am I enjoying things as they are? Is the business where I want it to be? Am I in the business I want to be in? And if not, where do I want to be in the future? What do I need to change? Uh, and who do I need to help me? And what processes and systems do we need to adopt or adapt to get from where we are to where we want to be? I know what my thought is, but I'd be interested in in your thought of. So you or I will go in and we'll do this consultation with our respective um, clients or potential clients. And we give them this map and um, we take them through this process of making them think, making them stop and breathe and think, interrupting their, their current limiting behavior or limiting process or system. And we give them a map. And like a map, it says, this is where you are, this is where you want to go and here's how you do it still 70% of them don't do it. Why do you believe most people still, even with um, a trusted process, a proven process, a map to their future, don't achieve all that they could achieve? Well, there's different reasons for that. But I think uh, to keep it really simple, Mike, if if I was to give you a a simple answer, uh, is that they are in a particular routine uh, and they've formed particular habits uh, and they just go back to normal so a large percentage of people who are smokers who have a heart attack within the first year end up going back to smoking even they know it's even though it's going to kill them yeah. okay uh, and uh, so it's about changing those habits and those routines but deeper than that really is they've got to want to change and they've got to yeah. want to improve and they've got to believe that what they're doing right now i.e. working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours yeah, okay, yeah. being the last one to be paid and sometimes not being paid not being able to meet all their debts and liabilities clients and customers and patients are owing them a lot of money okay, uh, and they're struggling to make ends meet uh, working every single hour under the sun uh, isn't the reason they started their business yeah, no, exactly I mean, it's 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 so great to hear. It sort of resonates with me uh, so much. And using the smoking example that you did, my own mum, I, I lost her a few years ago, uh, sadly, and I'd, I'd give much of what uh, what I had to spend one minute with her, you know, just to give her a hug again and uh, and spend a little bit of time, have a cup of tea. But she, through smoking, um, 
got emphysemia, had heart attacks, had a triple heart bypass, had a pacemaker uh, and had oxygen literally wired around the house, around the skirtings that she could plug herself into. And yet I'd go around to have a cup of tea and she'd be smoking. And I'd say, Mom, what the F are you doing? You know, that's pure oxygen. You're going to blow the house up and kill yourself. You know, I wouldn't mind, but I bought you this house and it's my house. You're going to blow up. Kind of what are you doing? And she was literally couldn't walk to the toilet without getting out of breath, but would still be smoking. And and that addiction, and it is an addiction. Mm-hmm. And people can think, I understand alcohol addiction. I understand drug addiction. I understand smoking addiction. But they don't realize the degree to which their habits that might just be, I don't want to get up. I only want to work eight hours. I don't want to... I don't want the hassle of setting up my own business. I'd rather just go to work and come home. It's, it's those habits are addictive, are holding them back and are absolutely within their control. They are a decision. And one of my mentors used to say when I was younger, I never got it until I got it. And I now say it and people don't get it till they get it. It is that you are one decision away from success. Yeah. You think, yeah, but I've decided to be no no when you make that decision you'll know and that decision is and i've used it before as a kind of mantra at conferences get off your butt and it's not just get off your butt as in get off your ass and do something and do the work that's necessary to get from where you are to where you want to be but get off your reason why you don't and and that is yeah i know what you're saying mike but or well i would do that but uh, or you don't understand you know and it's like with you it is always but 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 Stop saying but. Think about your reason why, and that's what we get it. If you really want it, and, you know, was it the Spice Girls who said, what do you want, what do you really, really, really yeah. want, what do you really, really, really want, whatever it is. It's like if people know or when they know what they really, really want and they, like, find a compelling pull to that, well, if I had that, I could look after my kids better. I could retire my mum so she don't have to work so hard anymore. I could give back to my community. I could build... Uh, a piece of architecture that's going to be there long behind me, this legacy. If they can find that massive pull and they can find the reasons why not, I don't want to die when I'm 60. I don't, I don't want to leave my kids with this problem. Uh, I don't want my kids, because I'm smoking, be able to outrun me at the age of seven or whatever it is. If they can find that negative push that is a burning desire to move away from and a positive pull that is a, a really... Um, welcoming compelling future they'll do what it needs to take but until they get that want that need that that vision of what they really really want they they get stuck in their butt on their butt and to add to that pike making money and making excuses is mutually exclusive you're either doing one or the other Uh, and uh i think it was earl nightingale who said we're all self-made but it's only the rich who admit it. Yeah. Wherever you are... Uh, no, I like that. That's you know, all night and girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's because of the, the choices that you've made. Uh, and I think people tend to neglect the responsibility that yeah. they have. And I'm sure you've heard responsibility is having the ability to respond to a particular yeah, situation. You are responsible. Rather than saying, why did it happen to me? Why does it always yeah, happen yeah. to me? Sword's law, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Think, this is where we are. Okay, or this is yeah. where I am. Okay, what are my, all my different options? What are the upsides? What are the downsides? Should I act now? Should I act later? Think about those things 
and then <coughs> move forward. As you've said, you've got to keep taking action. Well, and connected to that, uh, uh, when I speak at schools, uh, I tend to go in either just before GCSEs or just before A-levels and try and give them that kind of six months prior to those exams, that push to do an extra 15 minutes each day on some key subjects or whatever it is. And think about if you do did an extra 15 minutes a day that would change this grade to that grade that would open the door to this job maybe or, or this university that give you different choices you know hard work alone isn't enough education alone isn't enough but if you put the two together but often i'll i'll, I'll encapsulate it in something like um at this moment you're 16 you're 18 depending where they are um you can blame your parents if you haven't got everything you, or you're not achieving everything you should. You can blame the government. You can blame your teachers because you have been under the care and under the control of all those people. But from the minute you leave school, you now are in control of your destiny. And if you are failing in a year, in five years, in 10 years, you cannot anymore ever blame the government your teachers your parents because even though you might say i had a terrible upbringing, terrible upbringing you don't understand well so did i so did you so did a hundred people we could name from this city alone yeah let alone outside but they went on they took control of their life they found and focused and thought about what they want and they took the action necessary but Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Here we find ourselves uh, at, the, at, the, at the mature end of our careers, if you like, uh, me more so than you in age. But if you could go back uh, to Shaz of 16 years old or 15 years old, what would be the one bit of advice that you would want to give yourself? I think uh, the best advice I can give uh, my 16-year-old self is to never limit myself. Because... Most people, as you know, Mike, live life based on limitations that they set yeah. for themselves. Uh, and those glass ceilings really aren't yeah. ceilings at yeah. all. There is no ceiling. You can go as high as you want, uh, as long as you dare to dream, think, believe, act and do. And, and, and that's a, a wonderful point to bring this together. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this out loud because I want Chris to build it into the... Uh, the video version of this, but I was talking to someone just this morning. Have you seen the um, uh, experiment that was done with fleas in a jar, whereby, um, in effect, the flea, a flea can jump about eight feet. I mean, it's just incredible when you took their size to, yeah. to how far they can jump. It's amazing. But they put fleas in a jar, and this is on YouTube. Anyone can Google it. And the flea, and they put the lid on, and the fleas jump up and hit the top, 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 and, hit the top. Uh, and they leave those fleas in there for three days. After three days, they take the lid off and that limiting belief, the fleas jump just before and down, just before and down, just before. And they never jump out because learned behavior says they can only go so high without hitting the ceiling. And what's really sad, but also equally interesting is that when those fleas then have babies, those babies, because the parents only jump so far, only jump so high. Of course, you'll get the odd one that will break out. But actually, the masses are held to limiting performance, limiting achievement, limiting uh, ability to, hit, to achieve everything they dream for because they've either been born into a ceiling that is not real or they have hit what they believe to be the ceiling so often that they give up trying to jump any higher. 
Uh, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I look forward to uh, another session at some point in the future and coming onto your podcast. I hope you find, found that as uh, enlightening, motivating and powerful as I did. If you enjoyed, please like, share, subscribe and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Success as a System. Thank you.